Hello and welcome to Managing IP's IP Lounge, our monthly podcast that reviews the biggest stories in IP and previews what's on the horizon. I'm Ed Conlon, Editor-in-Chief at Managing IP, and I'm delighted to be joined today in person by my colleagues Max Walters and Rory O'Neill. We're live in London for Managing IP's IP and Innovation Summit, where day two is in full swing after what was an action-packed day yesterday. Max and Rory, good to see you. Great to be here. Good to see you, Ed. Good stuff. So, it's been a busy conference, although we're only into sort of the, the first, well, the, the halfway through now, I suppose, day two, aren't we? Um, and it's also been a busy month, obviously, with the Unified Patent Court launching. That was definitely the highlight, I think, for us. Uh, Rory, what would you say then have been the main talking points on the UPC during the conference so far? Yeah, well, I mean, as you say, yesterday morning, the first three sessions were all on the UPC, and I suppose. You know, if you've been to IP conferences in recent years, you might have gotten used to kind of <laughs> going to the same session on the EPC um, a few times. But now the difference, obviously, is that it's finally started. So we've got um, something concrete to talk about, even if it's only been open a week. Um, I think the message that I took from it was that everyone, uh, well, patent owners at least, and patent lawyers um, all seem very positive about the core and the BMG patent system. But activity's been fairly quiet so far, I would say. I mean, as of yesterday morning, there have been fewer than 20 actions filed. Um, so not not flood of activity. And you know, conversely, there's been, there have been over half a million opt-outs, so, which again is, is it's not massive, but it's, it's, it's a pretty big chunk, and it's a lot more than... Um, officials at the UPC seem to have budgeted for. So they, uh, they said, didn't they, that that was almost 50% of the eligible patents. I mean, that might be disputed, but they... Uh, yeah, I've seen, speaker uh, that, didn't they? I think, uh, yeah, I've seen yeah. different numbers going around. Yeah. I mean, um, surprisingly, there isn't that doesn't seem to be much consensus on how many uh, <laughs> patents are out there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, so... Um, I guess it needs to do a bit more digging on the exact opt-out rate, but it's a it's a fairly sizable chunk of patents that are opted out. Um, despite that, though, I mean, I think certainly all the in-house counsel spoke were very positive about the new system. And listen, I mean, like the fact is, DPC is likely to be very pro-patenty, and over time, I think that's going to generate a lot of activity. Um, once it's bedded down. So I would say uh, we can expect this to be pretty busy court in time. I mean, Clemens Hoysch at Nokia spoke yesterday because um, maybe one surprising thing, you know, there have been no SEP actions filed so far, yeah. uh, standard such patents, that is. But uh, Clemens was hinting that, you know, okay, Nokia has two big cases ongoing at the moment against Chinese smartphone makers, Oppo and Vivo. Uh, he didn't think there was a lot the UPC could add there because those two companies are already enjoined in Germany. But he suggested the next SCP action they launch, and there always is a next SCP litigation, uh, the UPC will probably be involved there. So, I mean, I expect to see some pretty big cases there uh, sooner or later. Uh, just by virtue of the fact that I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty pro-patenty court. That's what I took from yesterday. And we got, um, got a few interesting lines, didn't we, on the sort of issue of... Um part-time judges who are yeah. also in-house counselling. Yeah, I got on my hobby horse about this again. Um, <laughs> just, just give some background there, just so anyone listening just knows the context. Well, for yeah, for anyone who didn't read my opinion piece about this, 
Um, well, the UPC, everyone did. Yeah, <laughs> the, the UPC has appointed part-time uh, judges, technically qualified judges, that is, um, by virtue of their technical expertise in a particular area. Um, most of these are made up of patent litigators from private practice, but there's um, quite a few in-house counsel as well. Um, I don't think this is a good idea. Um, the UPC has published a code of conduct to try and deal with the potential conflicts of interest that arise with part-time judges. The code is okay. I mean, I, th I think it's much better at dealing with the conflicts that arise in the case of private practice litigators. It at least, you know, tries to address those fairly head-on. Um, but it doesn't really say anything about the particular risks of having in-house counsel on the bench. And I just don't think this works at all. I mean, I... In-house counsel think strategically. They know their company's interests. And, you know, all of these companies, including Nokia, um, Orange, CSL Bearing, these are all companies with an interest in strong patent enforcement rights. And now their counsel are in a position to kind of shape the case law of the new cover as judges, even if they're not going to be, you know, particularly influential on the panel. It's more about the principle. And... Uh, Maybe to my surprise, most of the in-house counsel I asked about the, uh, yesterday morning seem to agree. Um, yeah. uh, I should say Clemens Hoysch, you know, because Nokia has one of the companies that has an in-house counsel. He um, he disagreed that it's an issue, and you know he was making the point that you know these judges are good people and they'll be very careful about conflicts of interest. Uh, I don't dispute that at all. I just think, in principle, it's it's not a good idea. It's not a good look. And sure, that's that's my opinion on it. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, we we always said all along that we don't doubt the integrity of these people. It's just that in many established jurisdictions in a legal forum, you wouldn't have a judge who has any sort of interest in either of the parties at all. It just wouldn't yeah. be it wouldn't be considered. So it's, it's going to be an interesting talking point and one that will probably run and run. Yeah, absolutely. It's obviously a, a sort of hot topic, isn't it? Really, I suppose. Um, there was, a, there was a really interesting question that was asked, actually, during, I think, the first panel, possibly the second. But, you know, we, we, we had three UPC panels in a row yesterday, so it's busy for UPC, wasn't it? But one of the questions that was asked was around whether or not the panel thought that the UPC would become a sort of low-value jurisdiction <coughs> because, you know, because of the number yeah. of opt-outs, the lack of activity so far and, you know, it's, obviously it's not me a white elephant I don't think that would probably be a bit extreme but I think the guy was getting at the fact that you know is it really going to be a particularly sort of high value jurisdiction if not many people are using it at the moment we don't know how many will use it in future there have been lots of opt-outs was there a consensus from the panel in response to that do you think or oh, I, I think the crucial point there as well was that you know um, and we've heard this from the house against before especially in pharma um, uh, uh, Shoda uh, Regeneron was was saying that um, you know what far what we're seeing from pharma patent owners is that they might opt out the most the most valuable patents, the composition of matter patents, um, which tend to be most valuable at the end of their life. So if you're opting the highest value patents out, then does it become a low value system? I, th I think it's a good point, and I think it's probably. I think there's something in that, but maybe only at the start. Because what you have to remember is, you know, we have the opt-outs being filed now. Um, they can still be withdrawn, by the way. Um, but after seven years, you know, that choice will be taken away. Uh, this is going to be the system. So, I mean, seven years, you know, feels like a long time. But in, uh, in the history of a new kind of judicial system, it's, it's kind of just the start. 
And yeah. so we'll probably see pretty cautious approach until people yeah. see some kind of proof of what of what the EPC is like. But over time, I think you yeah you will see the most viable patterns. Um, be at least being in the system. So at the start, yeah, maybe, but that's we'll, we'll see how. I think that that element of caution is coming through in um, it's unrelated to the, the conference here today, but in, in the US, our US reporter um, Rani, who's not on today's podcast, but she's been speaking to in-house counsel over there, and that sort of wait and see element is definitely. Um, definitely a thing so it seems to be um, a running theme that, that story will be published by the time this goes out you can you can read that but there's some really interesting insights there from US Council about how they basically just want to see how things develop how the court goes in its first few months before they really decide whether to put their, their crown jewels as they say into the system yeah. um, and many by virtue of the fact they don't seem to have that many European patents the ones that they do have are pretty valuable and they're just sort of yeah, holding off for now I guess it is important to re-emphasise how new this system is, right? It, it literally launched last, a week, old, uh, last yeah. week, you know, as of recording, you know, publication maybe slightly more than a week. But um, as of here here and now, I think it was actually exactly a week, wasn't it? Last Thursday, wasn't it? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so, so you know, we, we're in the very early stages. Um, Rory, obviously, you went to the inauguration event last week in yeah. Luxembourg, which by all accounts was very interesting, um, not least because... You know, the, the chief judge of the, of the new court, Klaus, uh, sorry, Grabinski, um, you know, gave a very interesting speech, which, which he's reported on, which has been widely shared as well. Do you want to just quickly discuss what, what he talked about? Because he kind of went slightly off topic, didn't he, I think? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I love, you know yourself, like when you go to these things, you're, you're, you're kind of wondering before, what are you going to write about? Um, and then, yeah, Klaus Grabinski gave the first speech, and so I was like, ah, okay. Um, so he, he, he basically, he came up very strongly against the European Commission's proposed SCP regulation. Um, if you follow SCPs, you probably have heard about this. Um, the Commission has come out with a set of proposed rules and SCPs that SCP owners are not happy with. And um, Klaus Grabinski and the EPC don't seem to be very happy with them either. He spoke... He went as far as to say that in its current form, he didn't think it was compliant um, with the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights, um, which was... I'm not sure if a judge can come out more strongly than that against it. What struck me is that, you know, I don't think it's that surprising that that's how he feels, because the commission, as it stands, the rules will limit the UPC's ability to hear these cases. Um, but I was maybe a bit surprised that he said it. I was trying to think, and I was asking from the team as well, like, can you imagine a judge kind of weighing into kind of a live policy debate like that in other jurisdictions? Like, I'm not, I'm not so sure. And, I mean, he did say that he was very, com- he, he said he was confident that the regulation would be fully compliant with the Charter by the time the whole process, legislative process, had finished. In other words, by the time the Parliament and the Council have had a look at it. So, I mean... Quite a, putting a bit of pressure on the... Uh, well, it's going to be drive-by on the Commission, yeah, to be honest. exactly. Yeah, I'm sure by the time it's finalised, it will be... You know, mm, you know yeah, by, okay. by, by, the, by the time the other EU institutions have gotten around to 
fixing the mess the commission has made. I mean, I'm, mm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's obviously such an interesting time around patents in Europe, isn't it? You know, yeah. the, these two issues we're discussing now, UPC and FRAND, are such hot topics. And I think, we've, to be fair, we've discussed them two or three times on the podcast. But the fact is, they are they are um, very important and and. And things do change quite quickly as well. So um, the the Fran discussions have been a big talking point yeah. at the conference this morning in particular. Uh, Max, did you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean it was. <clears throat> excuse me. It was it was sort of what you'd expect really based on what we've been hearing so far. I mean the panel was slightly maybe skewed towards SEP owners. There was you know, Nokia was represented. There was it was moderated by a private practice lawyer. Um, uh, from Kirkland Nellis, there was you know, another representative who's acted for Nokia, I think, on the panel. But um, what they were saying was essentially what we've been hearing that you know it's a slightly sort of rushed through proposal. Um, it's you know, maybe uh, sort of trying to fix a problem that isn't necessarily there um, from an SCP owner perspective, anyway, um, and also you know, preventing them from from accessing the EPC, which, as we say, is, yeah. is in its very early days. Rory, what about you? Did you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, that's the SAP owner perspective, which we've heard, and I think their view on it is, is clear. They don't like it. I mean, but it is worth saying that, well, you know, there's certain aspects of the detail that maybe look like they probably will be revised. I mean... <coughs> I mean, I certainly have spoken to a lot of implementers who think this is a step in the right direction. And it's not coming from nowhere. I mean, the, the commission here, the auto industry in particular, has been in the air of um, policymakers in Brussels about this for years. They see a problem with it. And I think the commission are trying to get ahead of, you know, when they're expecting SAP licensing to become much more complex as yeah. much more smaller businesses get involved. And yeah, I mean, certainly I've spoken to imp- uh, sources on the implementer side who feel that, you know, effectively this is essentially just trying to put more transparency into the process. Mm-hmm. I know SAP owners don't agree with that, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's not as if the regulation is without supporters. It, it does have it, it does have absolutely. Support yeah, no, you're right. And actually, one thing I just wanted to add to that, and which I think is important to state, is that. Uh, this was discussed in, in the panel, really, and as we've said, it was probably slightly skewed in favour of patent owners, so uh, possibly not surprising that it was discussed on the panel, but I think it was said that this is something that the industry could have sorted out itself, right? This mm. is a problem that they could have fixed, but I think the fact is that they've had a long, long time to fix it, and they haven't, and that's possibly why we've landed here. And yeah, sure, it doesn't doesn't please a lot of people, particularly patent owners, but I don't think it's right to say that the industry could have sorted this, because I do feel that they could have sorted it, you know, on numerous occasions in the past however many years. So that's that's a bit misleading, in my opinion. I mean, look, at, I mean, we were talking the day after um, we got a look at the judgment in Optus v. Apple here in the UK. And, you know, that was the second um, big fan judgment from the UK courts this year, which is to say that, you know, industry could have sorted this and in certain sectors it has the auto, you know, the auto sector things have really calmed down there most pretty pretty much all the car makers are now signed up to the Avanci pool but I mean clearly in some sectors there's is still a lot of litigation and so it hasn't been sorted and yeah I mean it, it, you have to say the court so far at least the UK judges this year have 
I think the judgment, judgments have been much more um, in favor of the implementers in those two cases. So, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think you can say that, you know, there's nothing to see here mm-hmm. in terms of problems in SCP licensing. Um, I know there are pretty entrenched views on and very conflicting views on what the problems are. But, I mean, yeah, if, if it was so easy to resolve and sort of leave it to the leave it to the market, I don't think we would be seeing so much money poured into litigation. Mm-hmm. So it looks to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I suppose this provides quite a nice segue into our next topic of the EUIPO. Um, you know, the EUIPO under the new regulation uh, would have quite a prominent role in standard essential patents. We have discussed that before in a previous podcast, so I'm not going to go into the details, but... Um, Really, the hot topic here, again, as we have discussed, but there have been some recent developments, um, is the leadership race for the executive director of the EU IPO. Now, this is obviously a story that we have broken originally uh, and also, have, you know, Rory, you've broken numerous stories throughout. Uh, the most recent talking point, of course, is the fact that of the three candidates that we knew about, it looks like Joao Negrao, who's currently head of the EUIPO Board of Appeals, so just next door, let's say, um, he looks like he's very much in pole position after the most recent um, vote at the management boards. Um, Max, yeah. you've met Joao Negrao. Yeah. I think you've met, well, Etienne Sanz de Salo, the other candidate who's from Inter, mm. and I, I don't think you've met Andrea De Carlo, who's mm. the third candidate from uh, also from EUIPO. But... Just, yeah, what are your thoughts in general? Yeah, I mean, so he's, as I royal correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, he's in pole position in terms of the votes received at the management board. So he got 15, Etienne got, uh, Inter got 10, and Andrea got five. That all now goes to the council of the EU, who should, I suppose, rubber stamp it or could come up with a different opinion if they wanted to. Um, but in terms of the man himself, I mean, as you say, I met him last year. We um, I went to the... Boards of Appeal case law conference in Alicante, um, met him in his office. He's you know, a very engaging chap, very focused, I thought, incredibly sort of driven. Um, I'm sure he'll, if he gets it, he'll do a good job. Um, can't really comment on the sort of specifics behind the vote and, and how that all went, but um, I'm, you know, I'm sure he'll, um, he'll be very capable of doing a good job. Obviously, he's got huge experience having been involved in the office so far. Um, in his career. I mean, he, um, the Boards of Appeal are technically a separate entity, but he'll be very much involved in the uh, day-to-day goings-on at the office. So it'll be interesting to see how he, what kind of stamp he puts on it. Um, he yeah. was very influential at the Boards of Appeal in terms of um, kind of highlighting their enhanced role mm-hmm. um, as a kind of de facto court, mm-hmm. given the uh, reduced role from the, for the CJU in trademark cases. The Boards of Appeal is kind of now like a de facto lower court. Um, yeah. He's very keen to stress that. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he is rubber stamped as the uh, next executive director, how he sort of manages everything, including the offices, as you hinted at, including the new responsibilities on, on SCPs. Mm, yeah, I mean, Rory, any, any other further insight from you? Obviously, you've been following yeah. the story most closely out of the three of us. So. Well, listen, I mean, in terms of what happens next, I mean, I, I just think it's important to remember that it, it's the council that will decide, and if we've learned anything from the past few months, I mean, the council have been keen to impress that mm. on the management board. We've seen them chasing the board for... Uh, the assessment 
of uh, Christian Aschenberg's performance. Have actually given that to him yet? Hmm? Have actually given that I to him? I believe the, so. Uh, but, okay. I, I mean, uh, they had to work pretty hard to get it. Mm. And I think the council, if you read between the lines of um, of what they were saying, they were keen to remind the management board that decision-making power over the leadership of the EUIPO is with the council. Mm. And in terms of what will happen, I mean, okay, what, what we can say for sure is that Shreya Grau appears, you know, has the most uh, has the most support <coughs> out of the member states. Yeah. Um, that, that appears to be true. Y- you would expect that will reflect to some extent how the governments will vote and it, it, it will be at a more senior political level than just the IP offices now at the council. Uh, but, I mean, let's wait and see for sure because I'm honest, to be honest, ver- <laughs> There's a lot of things about this whole uh, leadership race that have not gone, um, maybe according to how we would expect. I mean, I've spoken to sources either close to the campaigns or supporters of certain candidates, of all of them, and they've all said that, you know, this whole, this is one of the more unsavory uh, yeah. kind of moments yeah, in the yeah. history of the EOIP mm. over the past few months. Well, particularly given the fact that... Um, Christian Archambault, the incumbent, was was you know voted out in in in, uh, in November, wasn't it? Really, and yeah. um, despite he, having a positive appraisal, we yeah, we later that. yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I mean, I I, I would say just to, to everyone listening, let's wait and see. It will, yeah, we agreed, will know yeah. we will know for sure soon. It's too early to say just yet. The what we can say at this stage is, Trinagrao has is leading in terms of the IP offices and and. Um, how they're how they're thinking about it now. Let's wait and see what the governments do, and that's yeah. that's the next thing. So. Yeah, exactly. And actually, one sort of one interesting nuance, I suppose, to this is that um, Etienne Sanz de Sado, who's currently chief executive of Inter, mm. uh, we have publicly revealed that he is he is gunning for this job. Mm. He's according to the votes, at least, um, in second place. So I'm not yeah, looking right. to preempt anything here. I'm just purely talking about the votes that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just say things pan out as we expect based on the votes, which is that Joao Nogra wins, Etienne comes second, and Andrea De Carlo comes third. Um, I do think there's an interesting point to be made here, which is, do we think that Etienne would stay at Inter? Or do we think, you know, even if he loses, or do we think that he would sort of have to move on? I don't know what your thoughts are, Max. I mean... I guess that's up for him, isn't it? I mean, in reality, people apply for jobs all the time, don't they, while they're in work. Um, True. He he made, I suppose, <clears throat> an unusual step of giving a few public interviews after we revealed that he was a candidate, um, outlining his candidacy, including during the interannual meeting, which is their sort yeah. of biggest opportunity, I suppose, to showcase the work they do to the world. Um, so he's obviously doesn't think it's an issue that he's gunning for another job at the same time. Um, and, you know, I don't... I don't see why it would be. I mean, surely everyone in business knows that people apply for jobs all the time and sometimes they get True. them, sometimes they don't. And But it's up to him ultimately, isn't it? He may be... It's a small world as well. It's a small world, industry, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. There may be an agreement between Jana Grau and SEN. Who knows about these things happen all the time? You know, I'm one my deputy. You know, who knows? I don't know. To be fair, I suppose... It's speculating. I suppose it's true of any of them, really. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, we can ask them. Oh. Yeah, he says. Yeah, we can. That's what we're here to do. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's it's a good point. Um, Just conscious that we've, you know, we talked about uh, UPC, Fran, the UIPO, some of these issues we have discussed previously. 
just before we conclude, uh, any other talking points from the previous month or anything to look ahead to that you can think of, um, you know, in, across the board, whether it's trademarks, patents or copyright? Just on the trademarks front, I thought it was, or primarily trademarks front, I thought it was quite interesting that at the conference over the last couple of days, there's been some sort of speculation or, or talk that the sort of hype around the metaverse may be starting to die down a little bit. Um, that said, we did just have a metaverse panel in there where a couple of panellists actively spoke about what they were doing in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, but it does seem like maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be so far, but who mm -hmm. knows? Yeah, no, for sure. And then what about you, Rory? Um, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> on that panel, I think someone suggested that maybe metaverse is a bit last year and it's all about AI now. Yeah. I mean, the UK IPO is due to come out with its uh, code of practice on text and data mining by the end of the summer, and we don't have any more detail than that at the moment, but I'm looking forward to seeing what that says. So, uh, it could be this month, it could be next month, it could be August, who knows? But, um, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that, I suppose, if you're interested in emerging tech and IP. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I would just uh, signpost is uh, the managing IP EMEA Awards, which are uh, a, you know a really big event in the IP calendar every year. They, they happen in June, so a couple of weeks from now, June twenty first. I'm sure in the next podcast we will discuss the awards in, in more detail. But just I think it's worth mentioning that it's, it's, uh, it's a highlight of many people's calendars and it's uh, often well attended. People get a chance to dress up, you know, wear the, the tuxedo or the ball gowns, etc. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that from a from a managing IP perspective. Uh, but thank you, guys. That's it for today. Uh, and just a reminder to everyone else listening that you can search for us, IP Lounge, on your favorite podcast platform. And, of course, everything you hear about can be read in more detail at managingip.com. So to follow all of these stories develop in the months ahead, be sure to log on to managingip.com or subscribe to the podcast. It's free with a new episode every month. See you next time. And thanks again to Max and Rory. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.